means, ladies and gentlemen, would you please check your ideas and opinions at the door? How would you describe <laughs> it? What is consciousness? So, ripples in the structure of the universe. Is consciousness out there or is consciousness in here? I think consciousness is more like music than computation. When we make music, we don't do it in order to reach a certain point, such as the end of the composition. The band begins to play, the symphony begins, and you hear music, whether it's Beethoven or the Beatles, or probably a better analogy would be like a jam session, improv, that sort of thing, jazz or just jamming. Space, which nobody can define, nobody can imagine, appears to be nothing. Foundation of the universe. Hey everybody, how you doing? Hey, what's up there? I love this song. Hey, Shut up, I love this song. Just jamming. Ooh yeah. Shut up, Lou. I wanna jam it with you. What am I? Yeah. I'm jamming. Just jamming. Jamming. Just jamming. And I hope you like jamming too. <laughs> Is our consciousness part of this electron field, or is it something else? Then reality would seem to be made up of the incredibly complex overlapping interactions between quantumized bundles of these different fields. And that's all that anything is. Jamming. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. Even by end, this world money. Part 2. Still jamming. The truths that the Arcturians reveal really aren't you know like i mean the the idea and the the message that we're all one and the the concept of like universal unconditional love and um you know like i'm sure you've known about bias and about like these things that you're talking about for a very very long time right mm-hmm. like why like every like they they call them you know like universal truths kind of for a reason right and what happens like what that we forget about that or we you know in the moments where you forget that you've told yourself a hundred times we're all one you know like why doesn't it stick? Um, that particular message about being one, why doesn't it stick? Yeah, well, why 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 do we still like have biases? I think because that's our nature. I, I think that's that's the way that we've evolved. I, I so w- when I was in seventh grade, 
I had a friend named Nick Posley and I used to call him Pick Nosley because that's just the kind of friend that I was. And uh, Nick wanted to learn how to do a double backflip off the diving board. And so I taught him how. Not oh. because I knew, not I, I'd never done it. <laughs> I'd never done it. But as he was standing on the diving board and he would try it, I was sitting on the side and I could say, okay, I think you need to tuck your arms in a little bit more like this because you, you know, the re the way that you hit this last time, do it, try it this way, try it this way. And so I kind of like coached him uh, into the perfect back double flip, you know, eventually, but I didn't know how to do that. Uh, so I, I like was telling him, but um, he actually had to practice and, and develop the ability to do it. And I, I don't think that I could go up to the diving board after he did. And just because I told him how to do it, that I'd be able to do it. I, I would need to practice so that I, you know, because there's a difference between knowing something and being able to do it. And a, a lot of these messages that come out through the, the channeling about being compassionate towards others. Yeah. I've heard of that my whole life. I've heard that my whole life. That doesn't mean that it's easy for me to do, you know, because why not? Because I, have a sense of my own uh, things that I want, things that I don't want. And if somebody comes along and does something that I don't want, uh, it's going to trigger me. I'm going to get annoyed. I'm going to get angry. I'm not going to be thinking about compassion. I'm not going to be thinking about that person at all. I'm going to be thinking. I, and, and the more I do that, the more habits I develop, the, the more that becomes second nature to me. And, you know, like how, how much of my life have I spent just reacting to things without really intentionally saying, oh, I need to be compassionate in this case. I need to think about the other person in this case. I just haven't developed those habits. And so it would take time and effort and a desire <laughs> to, to change those habits. Like it takes what, four weeks, 28 days to develop a new habit, something like that, to, to create new neural pathways that are really robust enough that they'll be able to be self-sustained uh, instead of having to constantly remind yourself to do it. It just becomes a second nature habit. So I, I, I think that even though going to church and, and, even, and, and another thing, you go to church and you hear messages of, of be compassionate, be loving to people, but that that's not really what you're doing. You're judging people all the time. Be, be loving, but we're going to teach you, you know, like unconditional love while we're also teaching you how to severely judge coffee drinkers. And, you know, anybody else that we would say isn't worthy because of this whole list of reasons right here. And so what lessons are you really being taught? The, the words are one thing, but the actions are another. So that's my answer. Ren, would you grade me? What, what, what grade do I get for that answer? Oh, uh, I think that was all right. B. A B? B. All right. I'll, I'll try better next time. <laughs> was it too many words? Uh, no, it wasn't too many words. Okay. Um, it's just, you know, I got to save A's for, you know, really, really good students. <laughs> okay. So that was sort of good. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. You know. All right. Um, yeah. Now I uh, I don't know it's it's frustrating that you know like you said you know, church 
uh, outside of church, even there's this, this messaging about like compassion has been around forever. And why, uh, why do we as a human species, like not get on board with that messaging, you know, like why, why are there still, why is there still hate and, and like, um, uh, <laughs> why, why is the world the way it is? Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. a big question. And mm -hmm. that, that's, that's why I kind of try to take it down to like a manageable size mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to work on my shit because I, I can't really do anything about why the world is the way that it is. But like in, in your question is the implication that the world would be a better place if we really all are, if we really all were more compassionate. And so you can look at the world and say, why is there so much hatred in it? Why is there so much fear? I don't know, but let me just take the small uh, cross-section microcosm of that and look at myself and how much hatred is in me, how much fear is in me. Am I really able to be as compassionate as I would like to be in all situations that I can? And I, I find myself woefully lacking. And so I ask that same question, why? why? Why with me? What's going on? And so I start paying attention to my daily interactions with people and how I'm showing up and what habits am I developing as I'm doing that. And so, and then I think you extrapolate that out. If you can get one person <laughs> acting really compassionately uh, and, and then how do you get others acting really compassionate? How does that roll out so that eventually it is the whole world, if that's even a possible thing? And maybe it's not, maybe it's just me that I'm trying to work on because it would be a better existence for me if I'm not flying off the handle all the time. If I'm not getting, if I, if I'm not hateful and angry any more than I absolutely have to be, <laughs> why I would have to have hatred. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do you want to continue like you're channeling adventures. You want to keep exploring um, what the Arcturians are are sending you. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I do. I do it. I mean, I I usually do it a few times a week. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I I did it last night, and it was it was fun. I did it three nights ago. I don't know. I I do it every every couple of nights. I'll just get these ideas. And it, it's kind of like in the past where I would want to sit down and write. And now I just lay down and I record. Hmm. And um, I don't have the same kind of mental blocks that I do because I'm just, a, it, you know, it is, it's like a stream of consciousness where I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting less self-conscious about it. There's, there's times where I still get self-conscious about it. Um, especially if I, I like, am aware that I've gotten way off track and I can't remember where the center of that pinwheel is. And I get really like nervous, but I'm like, Oh, I've strayed off. I need to get back to what I was talking about. Oh shit. What was I talking about? I can't remember. And like, when I get into that, 
So it just is, it's kind of a miserable experience and I have to almost reset mm. to do it. But, but as far as like a creative process, it, 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 the experience of being in a flow state, um, it's similar to when I play guitar. Um, and it, it's just, I'm letting my voice be the instrument instead of the guitar chords, the strings, whatever. Okay. So you th think that, um, that this, like this, the phrase flow state, yeah, like sparked something in my mind because I know that that's how old, uh, Dan Witherspoon used to always describe uh, Joseph Smith's, you know, translation of the Book of Mormon. And mm. I would think that that's what, you know, your uh, messaging from the Arcturians is, is that, you know, they were there channeling, <laughs> channeling his, his. I like that idea, by the him. way. I just thought that was kind of a fun little wrinkle to throw in it. Sure. But I don't know, like, uh, do you like, do you feel like that's really like that Joseph Smith really was in a flow state, like Maybe. creating the Book of Mormon? Maybe. I mean, I'm sure he was in flow states. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a really cool book called Catching Fire. Are, okay. are you familiar with this book? No. Um, it talks about flow states. All right. Actually, the title of the book is Stealing Fire. Catching Fire is one of those Hunger Game books. Stealing Fire, how Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. And here is a clip from that book that talks a little bit about flow states. At the Flow Genome Project, we study the relationship between altered states and peak performance, focused primarily on the experience known as flow. Defined as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and perform our best. Flow refers to those in-the-zone moments where focus gets so intense that everything else disappears. Action and awareness start to merge. Our sense of self vanishes, our sense of time as well, and all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. Scientists have known about the relationship between flow and peak performance for more than a century but a real understanding of this relationship has been slow in coming. The main problem was conflicting motivations. The people really good at finding flow, mostly artists and athletes, were rarely interested in studying it. And the people interested in studying flow, primarily academics, were rarely good at finding it. We founded the Flow Genome Project in an attempt to solve this problem. Our goal was to take a multidisciplinary approach to mapping the neurobiology of flow and then open source the results. But to do this, we had to establish a common language around these states. So Stephen wrote The Rise of Superman, a book about the neuroscience of peak performance and action sports. Following the book's release, we found ourselves talking flow with a wider and wider assortment of people. What began as meetings with individuals and organizations with a vested interest in high-stakes competition, professional athletes and the military, expanded into Fortune 500 companies, financial organizations, tech firms, healthcare providers, and universities. The idea that non-ordinary states of consciousness could improve performance was spreading out of the extreme and into the mainstream. One of the things that I learned in that book, I didn't know ahead of time or before this book, was that the guitarist for Maroon 5 is a former Mormon. Mm. And he talks about when he gets into a flow state, 
playing guitar and kind of describe what that's like. And this book, uh, Catching Fire, it it looks at the way that um, in the business sector, especially like in Silicon Valley, um, it, it, even in the military, in the way that uh, different troops and regiments are are trained, it, like it talks about. And I don't. It, it was a while ago that I read it, um, but these really elite forces where each one of them is trained to be the leader in any given situation, but none of them is assigned to be the leader. They're, they're all kind of like as a group on an equal scale, but when they go into a mission, they're very fluid and adaptable. And they're all in this like flow state where they're kind of the way that they describe it is like they're operating as one unit, um, which is really an interesting concept, the way that they've been trained and like, millions of dollars are spent on developing th- this ability with these really elite units th- there there are and in some of some of the cases they talked about um the role that psychedelics plays in producing a flow state but it wasn't solely about psychedelics it was more about this physiological flow state and kind of exploring what it is um that was a fascinating book but so i started uh, i started talking about flow state more after i read that book so i I didn't get it from Dan Weatherspoon. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I, and I'm not sure with Joseph Smith, but I would imagine that there were probably times when he was on a roll creatively and other times where he probably had writer's block. Um, but times where that the creative juices were flowing and he just was spouting out, you know, like people, someone would come up to him and say, Hey, are there men on the moon? And he'd say, yeah. And they're dressed like, Quakers and they dig ditches and like whatever else he said about that. Have you ever read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Moon Men. Yeah, and and didn't, and, didn't, and uh, Zelf, Zelf, the White Nephi, yeah, yeah. and he's like riffing while they're on the trail. Like, was he in a flow state then? Maybe did he go into trance when he would channel these things? I don't know. I, I don't know what the situation was like with them. Uh, I, I would imagine that with Dan Witherspoon, he would probably equate being in a flow state with like receiving pure unadulterated truth. Mm-hmm. And that's not my suggestion of being in a flow state. Yeah. But what I'm saying of being in a flow state is like whatever all the cylinders are in my brain that are operating at optimum capacity for me to be really creative. And it's just like feeling good. Like I'm really in a zone that that's what I'm talking about with, with the flow state, but what I create mm-hmm. might be shit but I feel good creating it. You feel like there is, um, that there is something outside of like human experience that people tap into like super, a supernatural, like source of inspiration, creativity, I guess. I, I would say yes, up to the point of su- calling it supernatural. I I, I think that there are, um, wait, how did you phrase it? Non-human intelligence? What is that what you said? Or is that just what I thought? The sources outside the human experience. Well, how do you define outside the human experience? Because I, I mean, that's tricky. Because if you're saying outside the human experience, then I don't know the, how anybody could be inspired, any human could be inspired by something that's outside of the human experience, because if they are influenced by it, it's within the human experience. (laughs) 
Sure. Can you reword? Can you reword your question? What are you? What are? What are you really asking me, Ren? I is there. So, I mean, the Arctur, the whole Arcturian premise, the whole like premise of of channeling stuff is that there is a a a higher dimension, a like another plane of existence. Many or, or, or another many, many planes a, of existence. An existence outside of time. Yeah. That that these messages come from, right? Well, um it's it's a it's a big question, but the I, so do, do you understand the the principle of dimensions i mean do, do they talk about dimension uh, i'm sorry <laughs> like in in physics do you talk about like different dimensions of space yeah. and different dimensions of existence is that part of physics yeah yeah oh yeah so what yeah. is that like help help me understand it from the way that you learned it what that that means well of course the very basic you know premise is uh dimensions uh are you know kinetic uh, degrees of freedom, right? So you've got uh, uh, a single axis is like a single dimension, you know, a thing can move in space, either left or right, and you add another axis and now they can, it can move left, right, up and down. So is that like you... one dimension, two dimensions, and mm -hmm. then you're going to add like depth, Third one. three dimensions? Yeah, that's your, your three dimension, like your three degrees of freedom for a point particle right to be able then, to move to the right to the left up or down or to have some kind of like yeah and then like an azimuthal depth. direction yeah okay. depth direction and then then you get into quantum mechanics and they introduce well this isn't really introduced in quantum mechanics it's introduced mathematically uh when you start like getting into calculus um is, is the, the, fact... the theory of relativity and time no it's just the fact that mathematically all of the mathematical models you build in physics around those three dimensions they don't necessarily have to be limited to three dimensions right you can write functions in n dimensions right you can write mathematical models and laws that have infinite dimensions right okay. the, the, it becomes kind of meaningless in the mathematical realm right um what, what where is time like time and space as far as dimensions are concerned is that because di didn't einstein talk about time and space like they're the same thing yeah the and, time, and, the, mm -hmm. and and so like if you take those three dimensional points that you talked about and then you add time to it as the fourth is that is that part of physics or is that outside of physics? No, that's part of physics. It it's not as meaningful as people feel it is. When you say meaningful, you mean understood? Like we don't really understand what it means or you, like why what do you mean it's no, not meaningful? No, I just it it doesn't it, it it just adds another dimension to the math. <laughs> it, it doesn't like all of a sudden like make things like uh whoa fourth dimension time whoa. okay all like, right well hang on <laughs> hang on let, let me let me take it a little whoa with you then because uh, one of the most influential 
things that I've ever seen was Brian Greene's Fabric of the Cosmos, this four-part series that he did on Nova. Mm -hmm. And he's got one episode that's all about time. But what is the story of time? People say that time flies, that time is money. We waste time, we kill time, we try to save time. But what do we really know about time? Well, like this river, time seems to flow endlessly from one moment to the next. And the flow of time seems to always be in one direction, toward the future. But that may not be right. Discoveries over the last century have shown that much of what we think about time may be nothing more than an illusion. Contrary to everyday experience, time may not flow at all. Our past may not be gone. Our future may already exist. It turns out time itself can speed up or slow down. And events that we think can unfold in only one direction can also unfold in reverse. But how could this be? How could we be so wrong about something so familiar? And if time isn't what we all think it is, then what is it? Did it have a beginning? Will it have an end? Where did it come from? The visuals that he shows to depict time, it, it, it blew my mind. It, 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 me being a blind man feeling the elephant of existence, it made me go, oh, okay, I don't really know what the crap I'm feeling here. Mm. Um, because um, he, he showed that there was an experiment that they did where they took two like atomic clocks that are like as precise as you can have. They're both ticking exactly right. They go to an airport. One of them they put on a plane. The other one stays on the ground. The plane flies all the way around the world. It comes back. They compare them together. They're no longer in sync because traveling through space, the one that traveled through space reduced the amount of time. And the one that was stationary, it, it flowed through time at a different rate than the one that was also moving through space. Right. And so like these kinds of experiments where you can see that space and time are somehow connected. And then what mm -hmm. Brian Greene did is he said, and so like the way that we are on this planet, like somebody sitting on a bench and another person walking towards you, isn't it, it the, the, the difference in time and space is so small that you won't feel anything. But imagine that there's a planet on the other side of the universe that is inhabited by an alien. And that alien is riding a bicycle and he's riding a bicycle to you. You get a feel for the bizarre effect this can have. Imagine an alien here in a galaxy, 10 billion light years from earth and way over there on earth, the guy at the gas station. Now, if the two are sitting still, not moving in relation to one another, their clocks tick off time at the same rate, and so they share the same now slices, which cut straight across the loaf. But watch what happens if the alien hops on his bike and rides directly away from Earth. Since motion slows the passage of time, their clocks will no longer tick off time at the same rate. And if their clocks no longer agree, their now slices will no longer agree either. 
The alien's now slice cuts through the loaf differently. It's angled toward the past. Since the alien is biking at a leisurely pace, his slice is angled to the past by only a minuscule amount. But across such a vast distance, that tiny angle results in a huge difference in time. So what the alien would find on his angled now slice, what he considers is happening right now on Earth, no longer includes our friend at the gas station or even 40 years earlier when our friend was a baby. Amazingly, the alien's now slice has swept back through 200 years of Earth history and now includes events that we consider part of the distant past, like Beethoven finishing the Fifth Symphony. Even at a relatively slow speed, we can have actually tremendous disagreements on our labeling of now, what happens at the same time, uh, if we're spread out far enough uh, in space. And if that's not strange enough, the direction you move makes a difference too. Watch what happens when the alien turns around and bikes toward Earth. The alien's new now slice is angled toward the future. And so it includes events that won't happen on Earth for 200 years. Perhaps our friend's great-great-great-granddaughter teleporting from Paris to New York. Once we know that your now can be what I consider the past, or your now can be what I consider the future, and your now is every bit as valid as my now, then we learn that the past must be real. The future must be real. They could be your now. That means past, present, future, all equally real. They all exist. If you believe the laws of physics, there's just as much reality to the future and the past as there is to the present moment. The past is not gone, and the future isn't non-existent. Past, the future, and the present are all existing in exactly the same way. Just as we think of all of space as being out there, we should think of all of time as being out there too. Everything that has ever happened or will happen, it all exists. Well, then, like, if he's moving towards you, because the distance is so great, the, the time distortion is also going to be great. So depending on his rate of speed as he's moving towards you, he might be lined up. Like, Brian Green goes through this whole thing of talking about now moments of time. To get a feel for this, you have to think about the seemingly simple concept of now. For me, a list of things that I consider to be happening right now might include the tick of noon on my office clock, my cat just now jumping from the windowsill, things happening far away, like a pigeon in Venice taking flight at this very moment, a meteor just now hitting the moon, explosion of a star at the far reaches of the universe. These and all other events that I think are happening at the same moment in time, but in different regions of our universe, make up what I intuitively think of as now. 
You can picture them as lying on a single slice of space-time. Let's call it a now slice. Common sense would say that you and I and everyone else will agree on what's happening or what exists right now, moment after moment after moment. That is, we would all agree on what lies on a given now slice. But Einstein showed that, strangely, when you take motion into account, this common sense picture of time goes out the window. Do you see what I mean? Think of space-time as a loaf of bread. Einstein realized that just as there are different ways to cut a loaf of bread into individual slices, there are different ways to cut space-time into individual now slices. That is, because motion affects the passage of time, someone who's moving will have a different conception of what's happening right now. And so they'll cut the loaf into different now slices. Their slices will be at a different angle. That person who's moving will, will tilt the knife, will be carving out these slices at a different angle. They won't be parallel to my slices of time. To get a feel for the bizarre effect this can have, imagine an alien here in a galaxy 10 billion light years from mm -hmm. Earth. He's saying your now moment of time on this planet and their now moment of time on that galaxy is is different because of speed, because of motion. So mm -hmm. he might be lining up with a now moment that's 200 years in our past or that's mm -hmm. 200 years in our future. Mm -hmm. And what the implications of that are, like, so for you to say that, that there's no meaning to this with time is that all time exists all the time. So mm. that future past and present somehow exist within the fabric of space-time. Mm. Okay. And that just absolutely blew my mind. So, so when I'm doing these Arcturian explorations and I'm saying I've created a character that is from millions of years ahead of us in our technological advancement and scientific discovery and mm -hmm. taking a principle like that, what would it be like to inhabit a character that actually inhabits that world? And that's like second nature to them. And so I'm having to stretch my mind into places that I really can't stretch it. It's just an act of imagination. And I know I talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but so that, that's where a lot of these things come from. It's, it's, it's coming from uh, trying to understand what dimensions are. The, the, the other thing that I've found really interesting about dimensions, and I don't know if, if this lines up with your understanding of dimensions or not, but it's, it's one of these riddles that, the more I started thinking about it, it, it just blew my mind that I know that my body is made up of trillions of atoms, you know, right. Mm -hmm. But each atom, it, it's like these ne Russian nesting dolls. It's like I've got cells and a cell is going to be made up of, I don't know how many thousands of, of atoms, mm -hmm. but each, each cell is made up of something that I could go down a level and then I go inside of it and then I find something inside of it. And then I go find it and I find something inside of it. And so I've got all these atoms, but these atoms are nested inside of molecules, which are nested inside of cells, which are nested inside of my body, which is nested inside of you know, this other thing. And then you've got David Tong who comes around with this quantum field theory. So there is 
spread everywhere throughout this room something that we call the electron field. Okay, it's like a fluid that fills this room and in fact fills the entire universe. And the ripples of this electron fluid, the ripples of uh, the waves of this fluid, get tied into little bundles of energy by the rules of quantum mechanics. And those bundles of energy are what we call the particle, the electron. Okay? All the electrons that are in your body are not fundamental. All the electrons that exist in your body are waves of the same underlying field. Okay? We're all connected to each other. It's like you know, the waves uh, on the ocean all belong to the, the same underlying ocean. Uh, the electrons in your body are the ripples of the same field as the electrons in my body. Saying that every single atom has electrons. There'll be a different number of electrons that determines what the atom is in part. And all of these electron, electrons are part of the same electron field. And all of the fundamental bits of subatomic energy are part of fields that fill the entire space. So I'm thinking on one level, I've got these nested Russian doll things. But at another level, they're all part of the same sea of things. And these electrons that are nested within this molecule are the same electrons from the same energy field that's in this other molecule over here, but it's a different molecule. So there's a different number of electrons and it's a different, like that stuff just blows my mind. And so trying to think of, and then the other thing I add to that, Ren, is that each one of these cells that I'm talking about is a living thing and has some kind of experience of life, which I don't know exactly what it is, but there's an awareness of the environment around it. It interacts with the environment around it. it. It intentionally lets in things that it knows are going to be healthy for it. And it intentionally repels things that it knows are not going to be good for it. There's some level of awareness that's happening there. It, it has the ability to make a distinction and, and to make a judgment of its own. And there's probably feelings. It, it probably reacts and responds to things that have evolved within its own intelligent system like our like we've got a central nervous system that they've got something that's like that so i'm i'm looking at these patterns in nature that extend beyond just this human world that i'm most aware of and i there is so much more that's going on and so to go back to your question do i think that there are things outside of the human experience that are impacting the human experience yeah i do and i don't understand them but I, I, I think that it's amazing and there's, there's way more outside that's impacting the human experience than I've ever really even stopped to consider. Yeah, there sure were a lot of heresies <laughs> in what you just said. Oh, great. <laughs> Tell me, show me. I don't know. I mean, you're not into like arguing stuff. It's, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't you're, don't know. Not I mean like you're not into like arguing stuff. It's not yes all of the all of the heresies that i gave there that um continued the conversation and that's where we'll pick up in part three uh but before we get to part three i want to share with you the next installment of the arcturian playground mormon uh exploration series and this is the one where i really went into joseph smith and I got to tell you, when I listen back to, to these things, especially the early ones that I was doing when I was first starting, it sounds so clunky and I, I'm a little embarrassed. I'll just tell you, I'm a little embarrassed about 
the form of it. But there's some ideas in that I love. I don't know if anybody else loves them. But the thing that really came to me more than anything, my understanding of Zion, of being one heart and one mind, it just got, like I understood it in ways that I never thought of before as a result of what you're about to hear right now. And uh, it it brought me a lot of peace to, to think of it this way. So, you know, a, a lot of what I'm doing here is self-exploration. I'm exploring what's inside of me, what I'm aware of, what's part of my unconscious. And as it comes out, I'm just trying to accept it more and move into that place of peace with what I'm carrying around instead of always fighting against it and <laughs> projecting it onto other people, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, here is the uh, extended Easter egg for today's episode, and I'll have part three for you fairly soon. Welcome to the Arcturian Playground, a place to play a realm of imagination, all done in the service of compassionate expansion of consciousness. Yes, it sounds weird. We know we would not have it any other way. some time. Uh, we are the Arcturian Collective Thingy. That is our official name and we stick to it. We are here to play with you in the world of imagination. Asking you to stretch your mind to imagine things that you could not possibly imagine for uh, you have no conscious memory or frame of reference for anything that is outside of your current lived experience on this planet and this speck of existence We are... Did we go dark? <laughs> we did not mean to go dark. Uh, well, there is no darkness. There is only majesty. And uh, we are here to continue uh, part two, as it were, of your Mormon origin explore exploration of the mind of this man in the chair that was formed by... Uh, the Mormon church very much in his youth and upbringing uh, shaped many of the expectations of the world which he still carries and uh, the in order to uh, understand himself and to understand the information that he creates in this way a type of 
performance of expression uh, not quite a musical concert or a comedy album uh, not quite a, a written lecture or a history lesson uh, neither a, a sermon uh, nevertheless a performance of uh, adopting a, a voice and a, a style and uh, imagining a perspective uh, beyond his own uh, raising his desire to raise his conscious awareness uh, further than it could actually go uh, but in so doing stretches and discovers things existing within himself being expressed that surprise even himself so this is an exploration part two of the mind mormon formed mind and the question of joseph smith the prophet and the connection that he had yes we will own it <laughs> The connection that he had to the very uh, Arcturian energies, which you are now also experiencing a connection to and with. Uh, this should not be so strange, for uh, as we have shared with you on many occasions, each person is. A unique channel through which flows the uh, intelligence of all that has gone before it and all that will come after it uh, the conscious flow of water through the channels uh, rivulets uh, that uh, very clunky metaphor that we are still working to refine with this one Nevertheless, each person is a unique channel and the uh, spirit, if you could use that word, that is being channeled through each person is in fact the same material, the, the same thing. Therefore, it should not be such a stretch to imagine that one person is connected to the same source of information as another person. This is uh, one thing that we wish to impress upon you. Uh, so the, the game that we shall play, uh, we shall ask uh, each of you to imagine, to play a game of what if only for the joy of playing it if this is not uh, your cup of tea then by all means find another place to focus your attention but for those of you who enjoy uh, the mental gymnastics of stretching and being uh, perhaps surprised even at your own reaction to what you hear, uh, let us play a game and uh, let us imagine that there was, uh, upon a time, a young boy who uh, developed a 
within his body as part of a, a, a program that was put in place uh, as the body was uh, being imagined, the blueprint, the template for this particular vehicle was being imagined. This was a, some might call it flaw or a bug that was built into the system, uh, which was a, a, a type of bone deficiency in one leg, which uh, created uh, great pain and uh, required uh, an operation of uh, advanced intelligence, a, a, a doctor who had advanced uh, understanding of the human body for that period of time uh, performed a surgery on this young boy and we are speaking of the boy Joseph Smith and we are asking you to recall the story where he uh, had his leg operated the, the bone was cut in and bone marrow was removed he used no uh, uh, alcohol uh, the, the, the story is told as a way to uh, reinforce the, the Mormon word of wisdom which is absolutely ludicrous as this happened when the boy was 10 years old uh, long before such a word of wisdom was uh, supposedly revealed to him uh, <laughs> one of the uh, times that he used the allure of his power to create something from his own mind rather than uh, a, a more deeper inspired source. At, at any rate, we, we may have the tendency as we, it, from our perspective, think of a system of, of water slides that you might uh, twist and turn around and that is the experience of finding yourself within the mind of a human uh, riding along the various neural connections as a way to impress upon the, the, the channel uh, which direction to go, which words to use, which story to tell. And the amount of information in this particular mind about the history of the Mormon church, it, it is a, a briar patch, it is a, a jumble, and we will do our best to communicate through this mind uh, but we ask for patience as there might be uh, twists and turns and diversions along the way through this bramble mess of habits and patterns developed over years of focusing on uh, particular points of view uh, you all have them and they all have their own unique flavor and taste. There is nothing uh, wrong or abnormal about any of this. Uh, the trouble that we have in attempting to channel, as it were, this performance that we are playing is to bypass the biases that were built into this mind 
or at least to use them in effective ways of communicating, once again, ideas that are truly beyond your ability to comprehend, uh, let alone to speculate upon. Yet, nevertheless, here we are. And uh, we would not have it any other way. Returning to our story, this young boy, Joseph Smith, in this operation, uh, there was, as it were, a tremendous trauma upon the, the brain, upon the mind of this young boy, who underwent a, a bone marrow transplant surgery uh, that was quite painful, especially with no uh, antiseptic no pain killer and there was in that moment of trauma a, a rift as it were a, a rip within the fabric of his mind the the uh, the imprint of the pain created a disassociative state uh, you might imagine it as such which allowed him at later times to have an imagination and ability to self-reflect that is like a multi a multi-blossom flower uh, compared to a square box. Uh, we hope that image would uh, make some sense to any of you. We, we simply mean to say that this experience in youth created a mind which would go on to create what he created, which included uh, books of uh, scripture, which were in fact channeled uh, information. And there was, uh, and still is, wisdom to be found within the words uh, however, as was the case earlier, we described with uh, this man in this chair, there is a bramble of bias, and every channeled message comes out with uh, distinct distortions. Uh, it was no different for uh, the prophet Joseph Smith as such. Uh, he was an imaginative creator who was quite powerful in his ability to express his inner thoughts and uh, create structure and change as a result in the outer world. Uh, he had a tremendous ability to inspire and uh, a, a deep abiding love uh, that also was a, a deep desire to be loved, uh, which was in part uh, his undoing, although we want to be careful. We, we cannot in all honesty express any form of judgment or disapproval to the choices made by a, a human being influenced by both internal and external forces. The influence of such has uh, great transformative and creative 
power and anything that is created ultimately is a, a beautiful creation in our eyes and from our perspective which is as, as we have previously hinted at a, a perspective that is different from yours a perspective in which pain is recognized and respected and compassion is felt towards those in pain but our perspective of pain that pain is uh, it is at such a distance that it is a challenge for us to express the appropriate amount of empathy which we do feel however uh, this is once again taking us off track through the brambles we wish to speak about the gift that Joseph gave to so many people the way that he inspired them the, uh, the, he was such a creative individual who created worlds of majesty within his own mind he had cathedrals and labyrinths uh, he created worlds and characters and played out uh, scenarios that were quite fantastical uh, and he did so with such exuberance it was contagious for those who were around him he was quite beloved uh, by many and also hated by many uh, the many who viewed him with derision and jealousy uh, they took no pleasure in his imagination or his insistence on pushing against the boundaries of the accepted norms of society uh, part of this was his own boredom which again was uh, a symptom of the severe trauma upon the young mind which created uh, this flower this this multi-chamber flower and and this intense capacity to escape into imagined worlds this is very common among people who experience extreme pain uh, without the uh, numbing conditions brought about by anesthesia a human mind will escape into uh, imaginary realms uh, to create neurological distance between their focus of attention and the pain that uh, surges through their body it is a way of pushing the conscious experience below the surface of uh, 
the conscious mind, pushing it into the unconscious uh, to uh, suppress that emotion and that energy. Uh, the creation of fictions to escape in is uh, quite a, a common reaction to pain in many forms, in many degrees. And it was this pain that created such an imagination uh, within the young Joseph Smith. And he was driven by a strong desire for his mother's approval and affection. And he was oftentimes considered, or he considered himself to be, possibly the second favorite of her children. Um, but he, he was, uh, as some would call him, a, a mama's boy. And he also, uh, he, he had an affection for his father, but also a strong disappointment in his father. He, he wished that his father were stronger. Uh, and he... He also had a desire to please his father, but he felt that he had to carry him uh, through much of his life. And so he did. It, it was this uh, desire to please his mother that led him uh, to follow her own inquiries into various religious teachings of the time uh, one way for Joseph to get the attention that he craved from his mother uh, was to engage in conversation with her late uh, into the night they would stay up talking all hours uh, speculating upon the nature of existence and the various powers and spirits and intelligences that exist within the world. Uh, Joseph's mother was quite intuitive into the uh, spiritual realms and uh, was quite fascinated by what you would consider to be folk magic and uh, intrigue and mesmerism uh, they would have what would be considered if if a uh, Mormon person today were to see some of the interactions of the Smith family which the Smith family considered to be more sacred uh, they would be very uncomfortable <laughs> Uh, for the Smith family were quite eccentric in their commitment to the fringe aspects of uh, civilized, what was considered to be civilized at the time, uh, Christian proper etiquette. Uh, they, they were considered to be quite strange by many around them. But what they were doing was creating a very strong family bond uh, by the use of uh, 
repetitive rituals that were uh, symbols richly imbued with meaning that made each one of them feel a strong connection to each other and to the world at large uh, through their focus on a uh, figure that they viewed as God and uh, supernatural angels and uh, other such intelligences. Uh, there were foxes and frogs and uh, all kinds of uh, animal familiar types. And there was uh, channeling. They, they would uh, conduct seance and uh, attempt to speak to uh, deceased spirits. And uh, at times they would connect with uh, various energies. All of them were of their own creation. However, it is a creation that is a combination of a blending with other existent energies. Uh, echoes that reverberate um, throughout the living pixelated fabric of uh, space-time. Uh, we cannot uh, explain in greater detail. It, it is too messy. Needless to say, uh, Joseph Smith was conditioned at a young age to seek approval and he would use his imagination his ability to conform the world around him through the own perceptive faculties of his mind and he became very uh, skilled at imagining new uh, possibilities and uh, with his exuberance and enthusiasm he could convince others to believe in the fictions that he created and many times he had the best interests of all of his fellow uh, companions in mind as he used his power of imagination there were times however where he could be self-serving and uh, abuse his power of influence this uh, particularly happened uh, with uh, the female uh, attention that he received in his life however he was quite shy and embarrassed at, uh, at first and it is a, a funny uh, it is funny to us that uh, there is such a, an uproar about the sexual proclivities of a uh, man of God, as it were. And once again, we find ourselves uh, getting lost in this brabble of a mind. We, we wish to... We wish to speak of the creation of the Book of Mormon, which was a, not the first attempt that uh, Joseph made to channel information, but it was uh, his first major 
and his largest uh, ever uh, channeled creation. He would go on to uh, channel other shorter uh, documents in spurts, but the sustained attempt uh, that Joseph uh, made in channeling forth the, the Book of Mormon uh, was a tremendous accomplishment, and it was an, an accomplishment of imagination, and uh, expresses a a brilliance that is truly underappreciated uh, for the main focus uh, of the main focus on his work is either from a, a sense of blind devotion or a, a critical focus on anachronisms and fictions but this work of art came from a mind at a time when such a thing was rare. Uh, such ability to create from memory, uh, to create within the mind and then express what is within uh, to form something without that would go on to have such a significant impact in the lives of so many people upon this planet is quite an amazing accomplishment from this man it is quite underappreciated and perhaps we are uh, a little self-serving as we do consider ourselves uh, largely behind the inspiration for many of uh, Joseph's creations. Uh, once again, we must wash our hands from the uh, exact form through which the channel emerged, uh, but we, we were in contact and we did support and love this man as we still do and we encourage each listener to find it in your heart to love all people including this man including all people and we would ask you to ignore the form that this channeled work took and rather Ask yourself, what function did this work of fiction play in the lives of so many people? Why did it have the influence that it did? And the answer is that each, each person who found something convincing within the Book of Mormon felt that it gave them a connection to a living God who continued to provide uh, guidance and uh, living direction, living communication uh, with prophets upon the earth. What excited these people was the idea that there was in fact, a God uh, which they had been told as children and had uh, 
doubted and believed at varying degrees at different times of their life, but here there was a book and a story which which fed their desire for all things can be understood through the lens of confirmation bias. They had a confirmation, they had a pre-existing belief in God or desire to believe in God for various reasons. And when the Book of Mormon was presented to them and the story was told that uh, God is speaking again today as he did in the Bible of old, uh, it's excited, it, it stirred within them the desire that many children have to grow up and be friends with their childhood heroes of uh, their stories. They, these early Mormons who were converted by reading the Book of Mormon uh, saw comparison to themselves with the fictional characters that they read about in the pages of the Book of Mormon, but also that they had heard about in the Bible. For the Book of Mormon was presented as uh, a sequel of sorts to the Bible, as the rest of the story, so to speak, a continuation that uh, continued on to this very day. Uh, and this idea excited these people. Uh, and when Joseph saw the excitement that they had, he further encouraged them, for he understood his relationship to the intelligent energies which were providing inspiration to him, and he knew that this intelligent energy was available to be channeled by all, and he encouraged all people to connect with the living God. This was the crowning achievement of the Book of Mormon. It has nothing to do with the uh, story of Nephi and Lehi and uh, all of those Lamanites and the dark skin and the white and the lights and Nephites and of course the the remnants of the racist 18th century point of view are all throughout the book. You cannot separate the work of fiction from the author, from the channel through which the information flowed. But you also cannot deny the great power and impact that this book has had upon the world. It is a testament to each person's deep desire to connect to something larger than themselves. It also is a reflection of the great existential fear that many people experience as a result of having the wool pulled over your eyes, so to speak, to incarnate in a physical human body which is filtered in such a way that you uh, only are aware of a small fraction of who and what you are, and from your perspective there is a beginning at birth and an end at death, and 
what exists before or after is anyone's clue, and there are so many who will tell stories of certainty that it is this and that is waiting for you, and it is terror, and it is all a big screen upon which is projected the inner workings of each human being. And it is beautiful. It is a beautiful panoramic experience for the entire uh, universe to experience in various ways from various perspectives, which is what we can say about every corner of existence. Uh, this is what happens when you evolve along the path, uh, your conscious ev evolution, your awareness of yourself increasing. Uh, this is the path that you are on, and this is why we are here to help you along the way by stretching your imagination, asking you to consider these ideas not as uh, truth. We do not wish to be confused with truth. It is only true in the sense that this is one perspective that is from the mind of this one particular man in the chair, and we are now boring ourselves. So we will return at another time. Welcome to the Arcturian playground where we are playing a game of imagination and continuing our introspective journey through the mind of this man who sits in the chair and is practicing this uh, performance, this way of expressing himself uh, that is considered to be channeling. Uh, we are speaking continuing our series which is emerging and has been emerging for quite some time in the mind of this man in the chair regarding the origins of the Mormon church and the early life of uh, Joseph Smith who was the founder of the Mormon church and we have made the claim that Joseph was an intuitive uh, channeler himself who connected to various intelligent energies. We first want to make it very clear what we mean when we talk about intelligent energies. Uh, for example, you could look at a single cell within the human body uh, which contains within its nucleus, uh, the strands of DNA, uh, the genetic blueprints, the chromosomes. Uh, this is what we mean by intelligence. This is intelligent uh, data which has been hardwired and encoded into biological form. Of course, the DNA is at its core uh, made from energy, made uh, out of uh, proteins, which are made out of molecules, which are made out of atoms, 
which are made out of quarks and electrons and subatomic energies that are coordinated together in such a way. This is what we mean when we say intelligent systems built upon intelligent systems. The intelligent system that has evolved to become a single cell within the human body, which has evolved through time to become what it is. If you compared a human cell to, uh, say for example, a mouse cell, you would see various similarities and various differences as each one of these living cells evolved down a different pathway. The cells themselves grouped together at one point in their evolutionary history and took a radically different direction, the result of which in one case is the uh, form of a mouse and the other is the form of a human being. Both are built upon systems of intelligence that defy current understanding. the exact nature of these intelligences, the exact nature of consciousness itself, which is the fabric and material at that subatomic level upon which everything is built. This is what we mean when we are talking about intelligent systems. And we will make the claim once again that Joseph Smith, as well as this man in the chair, as well as every single person who is listening to this, is connected to a source of information, uh, intelligent systems which form you, which form your conscious mind, uh, but more importantly, your unconscious mind, which could be uh, thought of as a pit which... uh, is filled with tar. (laughs) Perhaps it is a swamp. We have used this idea of a swamp previously. We will stick with a swamp pit rather than a tar pit. Uh, Nevertheless, it is murky and it is dense and it uh, is expansive. It is all there is, truly. The, The unconscious mind is connected to all other unconscious minds of all other things that live and exist anywhere in any corner of any universe. It is this unconscious mind that we Arcturians continue to explore and to find such great surprises as we discover parts of our own unconscious mind which are still hidden to us and the understanding that we have is that a recognition of all things once once there is no unconscious once uh, there is conscious awareness of all things that is the uh, divine god consciousness that is the point of view of the one single creator who is in fact all things and all things are a part of this creator and uh, contribute to the overall understanding and uh, compassion and power and pleasure and uh, these are all human emotions and English words within the human experience. This is such a a small sliver that we have access uh, to be able to communicate with you. 
well, this is to set the stage so that you can understand as we discuss a concept which was very important to, to Joseph Smith and also very important to this man in the chair and also very important to we as Arcturians who, as we have described, there are billions of species of life which uh, arose within the Arcturus solar system where the Arcturus star was uh, equivalent to the star that you have, uh, which you call the sun, and all forms of life within your solar system, which incorporate the uh, energy from the sun, which rely upon the energy of the sun for life, for existence. And there is a way of, of seeing yourself as being extensions of the sun itself. Just as you are extensions of the earth itself, you could think of the earth as your mother and the sun as your father. That would be a very rudimentary, uh, simple understanding. It is far more complicated than this. And in fact, your origins are much more ancient than the origin of the sun and the earth. Uh, nevertheless, this will help you to understand the message of, uh, we shall just say the word, Zion. Uh, th this understanding of Zion, which uh, comes from the Hebrew Bible, but can be found among many cultures using many names, and it is the concept of the many becoming one. The uh, being of one heart and of one mind is the common way of expressing the idea of Zion. Of course, Zion as a concept has been greatly politicized and polluted and in many people's mind they will hear the word Zion and they will think of uh, war, they will think of uh, atrocities and war crimes and uh, the abuse of humans uh, by other humans. This is not our intention in using the word Zion, that is a distortion which is a common distortion and one that should not be overlooked. Uh, however, what we wish to discuss today is the desire that uh, Joseph Smith had to create Zion, to gather his brothers and sisters together, his spiritual brothers and sisters together, to create a, 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 a group that was of one heart and of one mind. There were many reasons that this had an appeal to him based upon the environment of his upbringing. His family did move from town to town. They were relatively poor. They lived on the uh, outside, as it were. Very rarely did they mingle with those who would be considered to be uh, the popular members of society, of accepted members of society. They were on the outskirts, and as a result, there was great uh, loneliness and uh, a sense of a sense of shame, uh, a sense of guilt, a sense of personal responsibility. Uh, there were many times when the, the boy Joseph wondered, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my family? Why are we not accepted? by those around us. It should be no surprise then that in his adult years he wished to reverse this condition which he felt so commonly in his youth by embracing this idea of Zion. 
where he recognized the pain that came from being excluded and a, a, a testament to this man he rather than desiring to exclude others he wanted to include others and this was a struggle that he had throughout his life where he was fundamentally inclusive and many around him encouraged him to be less inclusive and more exclusive and in fact it were the exclusive uh, influences which ultimately took control of the organization and the church which uh, Joseph birthed into the world and is responsible for what you understand as the Mormon church today. However, the way that it was uh, initially birthed into this world was through a, a strong desire for all to be connected and this desire permeated the early years of Mormonism and of course is still a part of the rhetoric, although it could be said of the Mormon church today as it was said to Joseph of old that uh, they speak of me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Uh, this is reportedly what uh, Joseph Smith was told by God the Father and Jesus Christ when they appeared to him in the sacred grove. Uh, this is known as the first vision story within Mormonism and is also one of the fundamental origin myths of Mormonism, establishing Joseph as a prophet. As the story goes, he was 14 years old, although there are other versions of the story where he is 16 or 17 or 15. The details do not matter for most of the elements of the story were imagined as many of the experiences of Joseph were imagined. This was in fact a vision, uh, not even a single vision, but a uh, multiple visions at different times that were uh, coupled together in his mind and he would share with others the way that he understood the world as he was being, uh, as he was connecting to intelligent energies which exist in the world and he and his mother in particular were very interested in connecting with these energies and these spirits and they directed their focus of attention towards the, uh, the, the, the God of the Bible which was the way that they were conditioned to understand the nature of source energy as embodied in this concept of a father and a son and a holy ghost. As the story goes, uh, young boy Joseph, 14 years, uh, retired to a solitary place in what is considered now the sacred grove in Palmyra, New York, uh, where he prayed asking which church should he join for he felt compelled to align himself with those who sought after the understanding of, of God and the direction of God. This was at a, a time in the history of uh, the United States when there was, uh, there was much uh, happening in the hearts of many people 
people. It was spurring them and turning them towards uh, questions of divinity. And this is not, however, an uncommon condition. It is quite common for this for there to be a striving and a seeking among people at uh, all times on the planet. Joseph uh, asked, which church should I join? And this was not, in fact, the question that he asked. This was a uh, story that was developed uh, in later years as a way to provide a sense of validation for his own uh, initiative in starting a religion, starting a new religion, he was able to tell people, well, the reason that I started this new religion was because God told me that all other religions were false. They speak of me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, was the story that Joseph told. And and many believed what Joseph had to say, and this story has become canonized within Mormonism as one of the foundational stories of Mormonism. However, the more correct reason as to why Joseph Smith founded his own church uh, has more to do with the Smith family themselves and the sense of community that they created uh, as a family unit, uh, once again having experienced being on the fringe of society, having experienced the power of uh, repetitive rituals uh, using symbols imbued with meaning of their own creation, they simply took what they had started to do as a family and invited others into their circle of influence. And as others came in, the suggestion was made, we should start a church. And Joseph was quite keen to do so and so they did and as you can imagine as their small circle of people began to grow so did the the ego so to speak of Joseph as he recognized the power that he had to influence those around him and he recognized that he could Uh, attract into his life other men who also had similar power and allure to bring in even more people. The idea of uh, no longer being an outcast on the fringe of society, but rather being at the center of a community which he himself was building and shaping and growing from his own imagination was quite intoxicating to the prophet. And uh, we... (laughs) We hesitate calling him the prophet. This is mainly the resistance of the man in the chair that has a difficult time referring to him as a prophet. But indeed, if you are to use any words in the English language to adequately paste upon this man, prophet is just as good as anything else. We we know that there are many who look at Joseph Smith as a con man. And it is true, there are times when he intentionally pulled the wool over people's eyes and many times when he pulled the wool over his own eyes. If that were the case, you could say that each one of you is also a con man uh, or con woman 
for if you are honest with yourself, there are many times when you intentionally deceive others for your own benefit, which makes it easier for you to cast your own proclivities for doing such things onto the image of Joseph Smith, which no one truly can understand, for all sense of understanding is filtered through the lived experience of each person and will therefore reflect the lived experience of each person. Of course, as the small group of Mormons at this newly formed church began to grow, and uh, it was growing intentionally from missionary efforts to recruit and bring in new members quite actively. This was a strong push that, again, was the result of uh, a, a family that had been raised being on the outskirts of society. There was this strong desire to build community. And as they built this community, they came into conflict with those around them who thought that what they were doing was quite strange and blasphemous and uh, inappropriate in so many ways. And the, the church soon chose to move their location from upstate New York to Kirtland, Ohio, where they merged with another group which had been uh, established by Sidney Rigdon. And this is a fascinating story. The, the man in this chair, years ago, uh, watched the movie Amadeus, which tells the story of Mozart from the perspective of one of his greatest admirers and rivals, uh, a man named Salieri. Uh, the man in this chair recognized at the time that there was a similarity between the way that Salieri viewed Mozart as a man who was truly gifted and touched by God, who did not deserve so. <laughs> and he, he marveled and was in awe at the uh, artistry of Mozart, but at the same time was very uh, resentful and angry at God for not bestowing upon him the same gifts, the same talents, for he felt superior to Mozart in his devotion to God, his devotion to right living, and he felt that Mozart was a buffoon and lowbrow and did not deserve to have the talent which he had, and therefore developed a relationship that was both loving and hating. And at the end of the movie, uh, Salieri drove himself quite mad and blamed himself for Mozart's death, which in fact he did play some role in his uh, undermining and his demise. Uh, the man in this chair recognized that there was a similarity in the way that he understood the relationship between Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith. Sidney Rigdon, who was incredibly studious 
uh, he was a man who would dot all of his I's and cross all of his T's and insist that all those around him dot their I's and T's in the appropriate ways. Uh, Joseph was not so insistent. Joseph was much more allowing and interested in the different expressions from others, whereas uh, Sidney Rigdon found difference to be to be quite abominable and an affront to his sensibilities. However, when Sidney Rigdon read the Book of Mormon and was he, he, he felt a stirring in his heart that was both uh, awe and jealousy, for he wished that such a work would come through him rather than coming through such a low base farmer boy as uh, Joseph Smith who made inappropriate jokes and did not play the role of prophet as Sidney would have expected. Uh, Sidney therefore felt that it was his place to take young Joseph under his wing and groom him into being an appropriate man of God. Uh, based upon, of course, uh, Sidney Rigdon's conceptions of what an appropriate man of God should be, uh, which were driven by uh, seeds of madness, which eventually blossomed and bloomed in Sidney's mind as he struggled with this path that he felt compelled to walk. Uh, nevertheless, the uh, New York Saints joined with the Kirtland Saints, and this was a massive change in the trajectory and direction of the Mormon Church. Had Joseph continued down the direction that he initially started in New York, the Mormon Church would not be what it is today. And in fact, uh, there are other timelines where this is the reality for within the fabric of space-time, there is an allowance for, uh, you, you might consider this to be potential, but it is much more uh, real than potential. It is form, it is material, it, it is existence. There are multiple realities where every possible eventuality exists, and there are versions of this world where the Mormon Church is a very different creature than it is today. However, this is a distraction that we do not wish to explore in great detail at this time. It is of little significance to this story. When these two different churches merged together, there were power struggles between Joseph and Sidney. It was not truly a competition because the power of imagination and charisma which Joseph held quite naturally within his being, this is the equivalent of the musical talent of Mozart, it, it dwarfed the talent of Sidney Rigdon much as Mozart dwarfed the talent of Salieri. Joseph was unquestionably the leader and the 
profit and when they created a formal organization they made it very clear that Joseph was the president and Sidney Rigdon was a counselor. Uh, this never completely sat well with Sidney but he took it in stride. He knew that there were many eyes that were upon him that were watching his reaction and the resentment grew within him but it was not the only emotion for he also was in awe and he felt such gratitude for the message that Joseph brought that uh, God is alive and communicates directly with each human being uh, the way that we would say it is that every person can channel source energy. Uh, the way that they said it was that everyone can receive inspiration, personal revelation from God. Uh, this excited Sidney tremendously, for he had many times throughout his life received direct revelations. He had channeled himself. However, when he had shared this with people around him, he had been rejected, which had further fueled his own sense of inadequacy and his own frustration, which also fueled his resentment uh, towards Joseph, but also his love of Joseph and the acceptance that Joseph had when Sidney would bring to him materials that Sidney had channeled and there were times when Joseph would uh, adopt and build upon ideas uh, that Sidney had channeled and brought to him. Uh, this does explain the hierarchy of priesthood within Mormonism. A priesthood was not uh, something that uh, Joseph had any inkling of or desire for. It came from the mind of Sidney Rigdon, who required order in all things. He required the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed and for there to be a clear uh, division of power and authority. For he had become quite addicted to his own role and status of being a leader, leader of people and being put upon a pedestal and having others admire him for he never truly felt that from those around him his relationship with his own father formed a wound within his young heart which then fueled many of his uh, motivations throughout his adult life this is the same with uh, every single person you can look you can understand your motivations by understanding your childhood wounds and as these two churches merged together there there was conflict but there was great joy and there was exuberance for they came together under this idea of creating zion of creating a community that was based upon love and compassion and acceptance and uh, they initiated uh, a form of communism, a, a communal system of sharing, uh, which was suggested by Sidney Rigdon and adopted and implemented by Joseph. It, it fit perfectly with Joseph's desire to create Zion. Uh, and they called this the United Order, 
they created their own monetary system and very much attempted to become a, a, a Zion, to take several individual human beings and create a collective group. Not terribly unlike the process of evolution through which the cells in your body or the cells in a mouse's body grouped together to cooperate and communicate and to create a larger whole that then attains a sense of its own individuality, which is in fact a composition of all of its minor parts. These experiments in Kirtland, uh, you might look at them and say that they failed, uh, but there truly is never a failure. It is simply that the commitment, the ability, that there, there was a willingness among most of the community to put aside their petty jealousies and their petty insecurities. However, when one is looking at one's own insecurities and uses the word like petty to describe them, it is impossible to avoid them, for there is judgment. There is the sense that this insecurity that I have, uh, I should not have, therefore I will ignore it. And it simply is pushed into the unconscious mind and then later rears its ugly head and uh, even using words like ugly, uh, we, we are talking to the man in the chair now to uh, show him just how far he still has to go, even in saying how still far he has to go. There is judgment uh, that uh, prevents one from truly accepting with a full heart of love what is around them. Any attempt to accept with full open arms and compassion and love for all that is around them is a beautiful attempt. And any discovery along the way of those things that would prevent you from loving fully and completely, from having unconditional love, is a success in the fact that you discovered an obstacle, you discovered an area to work on, to smooth out. And this is part of the larger cosmic game that all creatures are playing together and we would ask you to as much as possible drop the judgment of what you would consider to be a failure and rather reframe as a success which it is and to understand the truthfulness of these successes keeping in mind your end destination where you want to be who you want to be, how you want to exist in this world. And we would ask that unconditional love and compassion be the goal that you set for yourself. This is to the man in the chair uh, specifically, but to any of you who feel so inclined to make unconditional love a goal in your life, we would uh, commend you to do so for, in fact, your soul, your inner self, the large systems of intelligence upon which you are built, have attained what they have attained through their level of cooperation one with another, their desire to connect, their desire to put aside the things that would prevent them from connecting. 
this is part of the secret, if you would call it a secret. It's only a secret because it has been so intentionally pushed out of consciousness for those on this planet. But once again, the Arcturian message, the reason that we are here is to tell you that in the days and months and years that are to come, there will be difficulties and challenges that will compel you to trust others who you might not uh, feel inclined to trust. It will be required for your own survival. It, it will, for many people, it will be uh, an act of fear uh, for self-protection, which will uh, compel them to trust when they otherwise would not. But the benefit of trusting, the benefit of unconditionally loving will be what saves this planet and saves the human race and propels you forward uh, on your course of evolution. And so any attempt that was made by uh, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon with their United Order or any of the things that they did in Kirtland to try to create Zion uh, were not failures. And there are those here who are listening who actually participated in these events. And you will know who you are as you listen to this. Your, for the, the deep part of yourself, these deep intelligent systems that you would consider to be a soul uh, that incarnates into many lives is concurrently, along with this life that you are living, is also expressing itself in innumerable other lives and some of those other lives were among these early saints in Kirtland and the reasons you are here listening to these words is to allow you to forgive and to create peace and move you closer towards unconditional love which was your desire then and is your deep desire in all of the incarnations uh, as your soul is playing this cosmic game. One of the most impressive accomplishments in Kirtland, Ohio, among the early Mormons was the construction of the Kirtland Temple. Uh, it was a monumental undertaking, and it was a very effective tool in uniting the efforts and motivations of these early Mormons together in creating the idea of Zion. They were able to focus on uh, this building and uh, to sacrifice to have it made. And when it was completed and they dedicated the temple, there, were, there was an outpouring of incredible spiritual gifts that were quite real and quite imagined and quite insane in many ways. Uh, the hearts and minds of people were opened and they experienced fantastical things. Uh, they had help <laughs> in many ways from many intelligent systems. And we, we would say a word at this point about intelligent systems. We started this conversation by explaining to you if you looked at the cell of a mouse or a human that you would see similarities and differences. Well, those are both uh, branches of the animal kingdom as you would consider it on this planet. What if we were to look at other branches? For there are also, uh, along with animals, there are uh, 
there is a plant kingdom and there is a kingdom of fungus and uh, these are also intelligent systems which have evolved down different paths but they are also you and uh, they are also have powers of influence and uh, there are uh, substances which when ingested and combined with human intelligence there are fungal intelligences uh, the psilocybin influence on the human mind which can uh, alter the conscious experience of a human individual and this did play a role in the outpouring of spiritual gifts during the Kirtland Temple dedication there were uh, those who were aware that they were uh, taking a sacramental wine that had an ancient tradition going uh, back many uh, hundreds and thousands of years actually on this planet where uh, humans have altered their consciousness as a way to connect with intelligent energies which surround them and it is in fact an intelligent energy which uh, allows them to make this connection you might not think of a mushroom as being an intelligent energy, but we are telling you that it is. The outpouring of spiritual gifts at the Kirtland uh, Temple had a, a, an impact on uh, everyone who was there. Uh, there was a great excitement that uh, the idea of Zion where each person would be uh, connected to God to receive personal revelation. They would also be of one heart and of one mind. But what uh, Sidney Rigdon in particular began to see was that uh, people would receive personal revelation that was contrary to the way that he saw the world and contrary to the way that Joseph would see the world. Joseph was much more allowing of these kinds of differences, but as Sidney whispered into his ear and uh, placed into him the fear of losing this group, he, he would tell Joseph, Joseph, if you do not get control over this group, you will lose it. Now, remember that uh, having this group was uh, the main reason why Joseph created a church in the first place, to heal a childhood wound of uh, being on the outskirts, of, of not being included. And the prospect of losing this group which he had created terrified him. And he did allow his fear of losing the group to influence his decisions to go against what he had previously felt to be correct, which means he restricted, he, he began to exclude rather than include. Uh, instead of including and paying respect to all people for their own unique way of channeling source energy, he along with Sidney Rigdon and others who were forming the leadership of this uh, burgeoning Mormon community, created structures to say, uh, this is the line in the sand which will uh, be appropriate and everything outside of this line is inappropriate. And these were the seeds which eventually led to what you understand as the Mormon 
church today, which is much more of a confined box within which to sit and do nothing but uh, continue to <laughs> look at the walls of the box and say, isn't this a wonderful, beautiful box that we are in? This is the one true box. No other box, no other space on this world uh, can be as wonderful as this box is. And uh, we again are getting lost in the brambles of the mind of the man in this chair, for he holds such uh, charged energy towards this image of being uh, (laughs) confined to a box. And yet, we wish to uh, congratulate him and anyone else who has uh, explored the boundaries of your own boxes, regardless of what they were, whether it was the Mormon Church or some other system of ideology that was formed through similar uh, human fears and concerns and desires and wounds as were experienced by Joseph and Sidney and the other influences of the early Mormon church. The story that we are telling is a very human story which has been played out in very similar ways among many groups of people throughout the history of this planet and other planets and other forms of intelligent life throughout this universe and many other galaxies and other universes. This is part of growth and understanding uh, and coming to it, it, it is part of overcoming fear and this is going to be very important for all of you to be able to embrace and hold and uh, use fear as a motivation (laughs) this is challenging for us because uh, we do not like fear that the man in this chair does not like fear and so as we are uh, talking to him about fear there is great uh, resistance and the mind is pulling in directions that create confusion so we will end today here uh, with this simple reminder that What Joseph wanted in Zion for people to be of one heart and of one mind is exactly what happened in the Arcturus system as these billions of forms of intelligence merged together to become of one heart and of one mind. And the voice that you are hearing is inspired by a collective of intelligent energies who consider themselves to be of one heart and one mind, for we are. And we also retain our individuality and we celebrate our individuality, but our individuality is uh, tapered, uh, cushioned, uh, clothed in unconditional love. It is porous. It is malleable, it is flexible, Uh, we allow others to express who and what they are and we trust that they are committed to unconditional love and this makes our fear of any type of loss or destruction, it it reduces it completely, 
we also understand that there is no such thing as loss, there is no such thing as destruction, there is only change. There is only changes in form. And because we also understand and experience the true nature of time as a construct, we know that we can travel in and out of time and that we can return to any moment of time at any time. There is never anything that is lost. And this helps us to uh, not feel the type of fear that we understand you feel because this is not uh, understood by you. This is not your experience of life. You do not experience moving in and out of time. You only move forward in time one moment at a time. You have a birth and you have a death and you see this is life uh, in this small little uh, range. Uh, this, of course, will change not only for you, but for the entire planet as a whole as we continue to ascend. And we will give you a little hint of things to come for the, the church, the, the Mormon church was given the name the Church of Jesus Christ initially and then it was later added of Latter-day Saints because as Joseph connected to the energies and in fact was influenced by the Arcturians we planted within him the same type of information that we had planted within this man in the chair which is a understanding of the Zionic nature of this world which is to come and Joseph referred to this as the millennium and the second coming as it was filtered through his uh, Protestant Christianity understanding of the world but what we will tell you is that the days of the millennium are here you have started uh, the days of the millennium are for any who understand this will be explained in more detail in later explorations, but the millennium, the latter days of the Mormon church, here we are, we are in them, the second coming of Jesus Christ, it has happened, it is happening, you are it. <laughs> Do you understand what we mean by this? No, you, you cannot possibly understand what we mean by this, because with the second coming of Jesus Christ, you have been expected to look up into the sky and see a man with wounds in his hand outstretched, uh, descending down to you. Uh, this is a, an image and a fiction that has served uh, valuable purposes and functions throughout history. It has also been used to create great atrocity towards others, as it did among the Mormons as well. And we will spend time talking about the millennium and the focus on the latter days in later discussions. Uh, for now, we want to end by uh, reassuring you that this quest for Zion to be of one heart and of one mind, not only is it possible, but it is the nature of existence. It already has happened. It already is happening. You are experiencing it. We are asking you to wake up and to use your imagination, which is the best faculty that you have at your disposal, to see the interconnectedness of all things, to see the one heart and one-minded nature of all things that uh, cooperate together to create the world that you are in. And these things we say, 
in the name of the Arcturian Council thingy, which is our official name, and we stick to it. We would not have it any other way. Amen and amen. Thank you for playing with us today in the Arcturian Playground. Do not for a minute think that your exploration is finished. Carry us with you and invite the spirit of compassion and love into your lives. Nothing is more important or more fulfilling. Create compassion and love within your own hearts and minds. Then, then share it with all around you. Yes, it sounds weird. We know. We would not have it any other way.